This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this feature of Power Woman, my favorite segment of the week on Future CEOs. My name is Lubim Boy Arnold, and as you all know, I love Power Women. I love celebrating them. I love being motivated by them. I love the privilege of being in studio with them. But it's all for and about you, future CEOs. Wherever you are in your entrepreneurship journey, I swear you're going to leave hearing the show motivated, inspired, business strategy, business tools, if not anything, trying to fulfill your biggest potential and your biggest dreams by changing the equity of the South African landscape, especially as entrepreneurs, especially as women. Now, without further ado, I would like to introduce a very special young lady, young in my eyes, dynamic, and I can, I can, I can feel that she's got a heart, lot of heart. The founding director and current CEO of Riversands Incubation Hub, Hub, Jenny Retief, welcome to Power Woman. Thanks so much, Libby. It's lovely to be here. So I love kicking, kicking off the show with a quote, and then we'll, we'll kind of discuss it and unpack it. So this is how it goes. Without collective action, none of us will make it to the top. Absolutely true. And I don't think it's just true of making it to the top. I think it's about any kind of meaningful change in human endeavor. It's always more powerful as an organized group. Than as an individual, however much of a rock star one might be, or, or, or wants to be, absolutely. So you're a social entrepreneur, and you believe in impact measurement. I know that you love diversity. I know you believe in education and different approaches to education. Who is Jenny Retief? Oh my gosh, Luby, I don't really know the answer to that question exactly, <laughs> but I can tell you that I'm hugely excited by the idea where one brings one or two missing ingredients or missing pieces of the jigsaw puzzle where somebody else has so much else going on, and through those missing ingredients, you unlock a whole lot of possibility. So, for example, at River Sands, the kinds of entrepreneurs and women we work with often have so much in talent, in persistence, in courage, um, and various other ingredients, and then they might be missing one or two things from a business perspective. And I find it so exciting to have the possibility of helping plug in those one or two missing ingredients, and now the outcome is so much bigger than the one or two little things you you helped contribute. Where did you grow up? Where? How? What kind of young girl were you? Tell us a, a bit about your family and your upbringing and your visions as a young girl. Yeah, um, my journey's been quite a zigzag one. I wouldn't say that there's been anything planned or um, orchestrated about my journey through life. Uh, quite a quite a few things happened by good fortune, I think. But I've always been. I've always enjoyed that element of working with and helping other people. My mother tells stories that when I was at nursery school, the big kids used to come after school. And my mum had taught me to read before I went to school. And so I used to help the big kids with their homework, for example, you know. So that idea of, of helping was always something I guess I wanted to do. But um, I was the first of four children. And uh, my parents both grew up in, you know, not affluent backgrounds. So 
they were very determined that we should have a better life than they'd each had. Where was this? What province were you from? Um, in Gauteng. In Gauteng. Yes. Uh, and they, so my mom worked through most of my life. Um, she longed to be at home with the kids and be more available to the kids. Mm. But for the type of house and schooling and whatever they wanted us to have, um, she, she needed to work. So, mm. um, work was something that colored, you know, the idea that you have to work hard to get what you want. So that's where your ethic comes from, your work ethic. Yes. Clearly. And my mom is an amazing woman. She is, she, she was a secretary for a lot of her life. But she had this hobby of cake decorating and she longed Yum. to, yeah, Oof. but not so much the eating kind, more mm. like the sugar art kind. Oh, wow. You know, that looked like a fantastical sculpture, but yeah. it's made out of sugar. Wow. You know, the Taj Mahal in yes. lace. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she moved herself from, from earning a living as a secretary to being a successful author of several books on the subject. To having uh, school teaching sugar art, to being an international judge in that discipline, to having a shop which was called the Sugar Art Shop, and you so know, that's where the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial DNA came from. A little bit of that, I suppose so. I suppose. And so. what is she doing now? Where? What is she now? What is she happy with now? She's um, she's a an artist. Watercolors is her favorite. Um, but she's in her 80s now. So, mm. but she still, you know, she'll tell me, oh, you know, I've joined the writing and photography club or something. And this is in her 80s. I'm so impressed. She brought out her first children's book, um, what sort of two years ago. Sorry to interrupt, Dini. So what characteristics of your mother do you see in yourself in being that the woman and kind of leader you are today? I think the idea that you really don't have to be limited by your current realities, by what kind of background you have, that it is about creating. Now, that possibly sounds a little bit hackneyed um, because you hear versions of that in all the inspirational things, but perhaps seeing her do it. So as I grew up, um, we were always – Allowed to dream bigger than our means, which put a lot of pressure on my parents, for example. So I would be wanting Spanish dancing lessons and guitar lessons and things that the family couldn't afford across all the kids. But we were never told it was wrong to want those things. Mm. We were just kind of, well, you have to figure out how you're going to make it happen. Mm. Um, so I, I think that the idea, you know, you get a sort of an, an inner, Maybe it's even an inner arrogance. It, it can manifest as either arrogance or confidence, Correct. the positive and the negative. And Correct. I think a person needs that because life dishes out the smacks. So mm. if you, if you don't have that inner belief, I think it's difficult to bounce back from a setback. So let's talk about tertiary education. So you're all grown up and what did you want to do with life? So the teaching or that kind of helping thread. So at the time that I grew up, which was quite a lot longer ago than when you grew up, um, you could get a bursary to be, to go and be a teacher. It was still the Transvaal Education Department. And I got a bursary and I went to Wits and I had been as a sideline. I was involved with a project, an education project that worked in rural schools and township schools. And mm. after 
sort of three months at university, I dropped out and went to go and work there, mm. which was considered a very taboo. You don't. Yes. You must finish. Yes, absolutely. And also the fact that I was, you know, working in townships. Yeah, a white lady there in the black areas. Yes. You know, that I would perhaps. Like if the school I was working at, there wasn't accommodation around there, so I would be staying with a, a local black family, mm. and that was considered quite strange, mm. you know. And um, so I did that for for a couple of years. How was that experience? It was it was wonderful, um, but it was also such an interesting illustration of the times because. I was doing what in some people's eyes was quite political. Absolutely. Yet in my world, I was just, you know, working on this particular thing that it's wrong if people don't have enough access to education. And my focus was only on the education in the schools. I was politically very unaware because the normal media didn't really expose you to those things. I mean, one funny little anecdote. So I was staying at this family and the lady uh, came to me, the mom. So I shared a room with the daughter. But the mom came to me and said, you may want to move out. So I was like, why? She says, because Zinzi's coming to stay and she's a Mandela. And I know this is hang of an embarrassing now from hindsight. But mm. I was like, Who what's are, a Mandela yeah. and why would I want to move out? Wow. You know? if, if, if you knew now what you knew then. <laughs> Sure. Completely different. Jenny, yeah. So, I mean, but the contrasts was interesting because here I was in that Afrikaans you know, active po- world, yeah. but yet completely politically oblivi- oblivious because the media, your, mm. your normal circles just, you didn't, you just didn't have the information as a white person. You didn't know what was actually going on. So. From there, you know, uh, education and training yes. um, in townships. So that only lasted two years. Mm. And then I realized that um, the scope of difference you can make as a sort of a starving volunteer is quite limited. And that um, it probably is necessary to achieve a bit more and get a bit of a bigger platform. And my mum, again, my mum sort of keeps coming in and out of my life as a thread. She found out about a, a training program for computer programmers mm. that one could apply for. Okay, the software. That's when you got into your software. Yes. Yes, yes. So this was kind of two years after leaving school. And um, I applied for this program. It was one where you didn't have to pay. But you, uh, but they could then be strict with you because you hadn't paid. So if you didn't work hard and you didn't get the results, they just booted you out. Yeah. But if you succeeded, then they found you a job. And then the new employer paid retrospectively for your training. Mm. So I completed it and I got my first job at the Allied Building Society. Yes. Which was one of the precursors to APSA. Yes. It was one of the entities that APSA bought. And then I worked my way up the ranks through that structure. Um, I worked at Deloitte's for a while as a manager. Tell us a little bit audit. about Enosis. Is that correct? Yes. So Enosis is very much later. So okay. I had a stint um, at Hollard Insurance, okay. which was a fabulous. And I would say that was the shaping it of me from a business What were you view. doing at Hollard? So I began at Hollard as a contract programmer. 
I said to them, look, I'm only staying for six months. I'm not really cut, cut out for corporate life. Mm. But it was such a dynamic operation, mm. organization. You didn't feel as if you – there was always something new going on. It was growing rapidly. And interestingly, they were completely not gender biased to the extent that I hadn't actually experienced that any kind of glass ceiling limitations lucky in you. my working life. Lucky you. Very lucky. And I, I really must um, commend, mm. uh, you know, the the CEO, the group CEO and some of the key people in the executive team. Mm. There were a couple of changes of CEO during the time. Mm. So then I ran the uh, software development department there and then they asked me to run group IT. So I was CIO at Hollard for a couple of years. So if, years. so if you say, Jenny, that you've never really, you know, had to like break that glass ceiling, just as a woman in the space that you're in now, just being a CEO, what experiences have you had that have been tough being, you know, the executive director, you know, the chief? Yes. You know? Well, I must, I'll tell you a couple of little stories because Whilst I say I didn't experience a glass ceiling, mm-hmm. people still made assumptions about you. Like of I remember course. once going up in the lift to the boardroom that was on the sort of um, like penthouse level sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. And the people who were top people from a corporate, um, the, the two gentlemen uh, who were coming, and they were actually coming to try and sell me something as Hollard CRO. So going up in the lift – and they just make assumption that That's, I'm the yeah, person who's going to organize the team. Of course. So they ask if I can organize a few things. Of course. And I just, yeah, sure. And I get someone to organize. I'm sure the shock and horror. <laughs> then they sit down and they realize that I'm the sort of first line decision maker. Wonderful. Love for. it. Love it. Yes. So, you know, you have these little inward smiles <laughs> every now and again. Yeah. Um, and especially in those days, because I looked, you know, I looked quite young. Mm. In fact, I used to call myself Jennifer then because it sounded a bit more grown up. Okay. Um, yeah. But um, I think you asked about what's tough. Yes. You know, business is tough. And that's true no matter your gender, especially as you grow a team. Because you now are responsible for many more mouths. <laughs> To feed and, and their, their families. families. Exactly. And um, a lot changes. You might have the recipe sussed for now, but something changes in the external world and that recipe doesn't work anymore. You know, when you look at poor Facebook, in one week, their mm. loss of value was mm. is the GDP of Morocco. I know. I mean, and that's like from one day to the next. So, you know, that's... It, that's a perhaps a very big scale example, but mm-hmm. even in a normal business, I think you've. I, I I do a lot of work in the deep slot area, and we both know how much it needs. Yes, as much help as it can get. So uh, there's this um, academy called the Deep Slot Mountain Biking Academy. Yes, yeah, you know I've seen it. Them, I've also seen them. <laughs> the kids in the red. At, um, yeah, the kids in the red at Northern Farm. Yes, they practice. Yes, that's 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 where the academy basically is, and I love the work that happens there because we're really trying to get the kids out of their circumstances, as you say, and part of the academic academic curriculum is that obviously we do mountain bike and do all the um, athletic stuff, but it's about um, maths and science and English and book clubs, which we're very about a part of. 
what do you see in Dipsluit and what have you see in a, the potential of the residents and the youth, especially the youth of Deep Slope, Jenny? Yeah, there's a lot of energy and a lot of possibility in that uh, community. And in a way, that point you made about maths and science is how I come to be involved with River Science. Tell us about because that now. Inesis, you asked about Inesis. Yes. So Inesis is a software development company that I founded but more than 10 years ago. Yeah. But I'm not operationally involved there anymore. I've mostly sold out. Yes. But Inesis's CSR project yes. was um, upliftment with maths and science. So we would go and work in various different schools, particularly maths, in collaboration with you know, some of the universities and various UJ, other programs. Yes, yes, yes. And so working in Dipslert, I worked with the Dipslert Youth Program. Wonderful. And um, Tracy, who's the main director there, she and I spoke about how you you grooming kids with education, but there's no work opportunities close by. Mm. And then Century Property was they normally develop residential estates, mm-hmm. but they also realized that. And so they changed their development from uh, being a residential estate to being commercial and industrial. Mm-hmm. So the having that possibility of, of a whole range of job opportunities, tech through light industrial, through normal commercial opportunities – I think is a critical part of the education puzzle because kids need a reason. They need to believe that if I acquire these skills, there will be something I, I can, I can do add with value. Them. Yes. So, what for me is the difference between an incubator and an accelerator? Why River Sands incubation? Because there's some people, you know, incubation they they steer away from, but some people understand and value incubators. Tell us, tell us what your um, definition of incubator versus accelerator, and what you believe it it's to do with our communities. If I had it over, yes. we wouldn't have that word in our name. Really? Yes. What would you change it to? Well, that's a whole nother debate. That's a whole nother because, show. <laughs> <laughs> um, as to what we would change it to. Yeah. But um, the the sort of academic distinction mm. between accelerators and incubators, mm. the, there is an academic definition. And uh, incubators are usually a cohort in a long-running program that go through a structured program over a long period of time, whereas, whereas accelerators are usually much more defined short-term specific interventions. Okay. Now, we don't fit either of those definitions, mm. but we have elements of both. Mm. Um, one of the differences between River Sands' approach and many other incubators mm. is a much more um, emphasis on it's the business owner's business, it's for them to make decisions around what services would or wouldn't be helpful for them and to make the decisions about how they navigate their business. Because taking a whole group and forcing them all to be in the classroom, you know, time is often the scarcest resource of an entrepreneur. So you don't want to have somebody sitting in a classroom when they should be attending to their customers. Absolutely. Unless it's the specific targeted rifle shot accuracy ingredient that is something a problem they currently need to solve and will implement for 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 positive impact in their business so ours is structured much more as a buffet of services which business owners can tap into but 
we parallel with that with quite a hardcore approach in that Which is? so each one of those services is an investment from our side and we want it to deliver a return on that of course, investment. Of course. Albeit that the return is that that owner's business grows. Absolutely. So it, we need to be met halfway. So if somebody comes and says, I'd like help with my getting a set of financials because I want to apply for funding and I can't do that without a set of financials. If we say, great, we tee up the, ver- the relevant specialists. Okay, so we need slips and transaction information. Mm-hmm. Now the person disappears and never mm-hmm. does that. What do, what, what do you find through the incubator River Sands has been the biggest draw card for these uh, black business owners? What are the highlights are you identifying that's lacking in resources for these business owners and entrepreneurs? Yes. So the nature of our premises offering is quite different because I think it's fairly easy to get co-working space in Johannesburg in South Africa. If you're the kind of business who just needs a desk, a laptop, connectivity and so on, that's fairly easy to solve. Easy peasy. Yes. But if you're a light industrial or manufacturing and you need a workshop space or you need something where you have to fit it out to suit your your business and have it as your own business, you're, you are the sign on the door and you control that space. It's very difficult to get that affordably and on the flexible mm-hmm. basis that a, a startup needs. Okay. You know, you can't foresee your space needs 18 months ahead. And to tie yourself into a three-year lease, you either have to carry extra and take the penalties if you want to cancel or you – and then find – or you go maybe too small and find yourself constrained. So – the flexible nature, the low cost, okay. the upmarket, secure environment Absolutely. is unusual. Yes. And people love that. But I think the thing that people mention constantly, the entrepreneurs that come there, is becoming part of an entrepreneurial community. They that support that. such structures so important, especially for entrepreneurs because it's so lonely out there and you think you're all alone and you think your problems are your own. Meanwhile, there's a whole society out there, you know. Absolutely. And and what I love as well is there are things that we do explicitly as River Sands, but there's a whole lot of magic that happens just because business owners are near each other. Absolutely. Kind of informal clusters that I, develop. I believe that. I believe it. Okay, my favorite part of the show is called Quickfire. So I'm going to say a word or two or three, and then you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear it. Okay. Understanding the scope. What is When I say that to you, what comes to your head? A range of positive and negative, um, long-winded strategy meetings <laughs> that don't go anywhere fast. That don't go anywhere fast. <laughs> Stop the meetings, corporates. I understand. Yeah. That's at one end of the continuum. Yes. And at the other end is that rising excitement of the um, understanding something and then the creativity of coming up with something you can do about it. Next quick fire question. Numeracy is the modern literacy. So strongly resonate with that. And it breaks my heart when I have some older entrepreneurs, and I particularly see it with some of the women in the textile and bag making, where they can't Mm. do their Mm. own costings Mm. because they can't do fractions Mm. or Mm. certain arithmetic. Mm. But, you know, there's a way around that. And very often what they are doing means that they have a granddaughter who's getting a better education than they did. Yes. And so we 
provide a sort of an outsource service for them to do that, and then they find somebody else who can do that for them. Basically, just harping on what you just said, the generational impact on the family of a business owner. It's huge. That's exactly what you're touching on. Absolutely huge. And that's also why sometimes what might be considered a failure isn't. It may be a failure in the narrow definition of result relative to the original vision for that thing. But the broader ramifications can be very positive. Suddenly you've got a whole lot of kids who are hearing about cash flow and uh, data management and the importance of taking deposits and you know all kinds of trivial and deeply uh, business principle things. You said that life gave you a couple of good claps. You know that you, you know, got bruises and scars and it's all about how we deal and how we've learned from those. Give future CEOs a little story that really got you down, broke your back as a, as a business owner and as an entrepreneur and as a leader and as a female. And how did you get your way and dust yourself off from it, Jenny? You know, um, for me, it's not even Maybe I'd like to tell you a variation of that, of something that was a way I found to think about those things that was a huge unlocker for me. Love that. Because I can't say that I've had a single big setup back, but um, I've had many, many things. And one of them, one of the things was when you look back at how you handled something, like you find yourself out of your depth and you, you deal with it. And you look back and you just cringe with embarrassment at how poorly you handled that thing. Yep. And yep. you know the, the articles about growth learning mindset? Yes. Um, that lovely one, Sal Khan, why I'll never tell my five-year-old he's smart. I don't know if you've come across no, that No, is that a good read? It is a fabulous Because we love asking our, 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 our power woman what's their favorite book or recommended book. So what that would be? Um, Sal Khan, who's the founder of Khan Academy. Oh, Khan Academy. We love Khan Academy. Yes. yes. So it's Sal's story about yeah. the growth learning mindset. Growth learning. I'm writing this down, future CEOs. I'm writing this down, growth mindset. Gotcha. 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 And, yeah. and he talks about how our schooling system, and especially my generation, mm. and but I think it's still bad mm. in that regard, implies that there's a set of known right answers if you know the answer, you're good. If you don't know the answer, you're bad. You're stupid. You get punished. Yes. So Correct. that's a fixed learning mindset. It encourages people to stay within the bounds of what they currently know, whereas the growth learning mindset is going outside of what you know. And it's uncomfortable out there. So if you can reframe, which is what I learned to do, if I can reframe in my own mind – Celebrating for myself that I was brave enough to go in this territory where I made such a mess of something and recognize that the fact that I now know something from that means it's a growing opportunity and that you should celebrate that because I think women suffer from what I call the perfection demon. Yes, yes, we do. And we set ourselves standards that can't you, you end up breaking us yes or you will keep your game so small because you can Correct. only have that level of perfection Correct. if you stay very small next question i love that um your best advice that you ever heard who gave you the best advice 
again, you know, I find that you need such a multifaceted approach to things that I can't, I can't find any silver bullets, but that growth learning mindset I'm was gonna fabulous def- advice. I will definitely get my hands on that. Um, there's another fabulous book, which is, the title is something like how to influence just about anyone. <laughs> just listen. Something like that. So that thing about listening. Also the, another piece of advice that is particularly relevant, I think, as you become responsible for more people is that you can have many simultaneously contradictory truths. I love that. And it's not that they're any less true. It's just that from that set of shoes, viewing that thing, that's the truth. And from another set, it's different or, or a slight change in circumstances. And if you can't embrace that ambiguity, I don't think you can manage a, a wide ranging, uh, group or set of activities. I think tolerance for ambiguity and wise management of that is the one of the markers of increasing sophistication as a leader. I, that you just said the statement of the week. I love that tolerance of ambiguity. Mm. That's exceptional. And embracing that. That's exceptional, Jenny. Three. You're on a roll. You're on a roll. <laughs> but you know that's particularly relevant that to is, our world with entrepreneurship. Absolutely, I love that. Yeah. Because for South African, South African solutions. So we started off at River Sands, looking around the world at other programs and going. Okay, let's pick one that we say we want to be like them when we're grown up. We couldn't find one. We couldn't find one program the world over that we we could find lots that we could borrow ingredients from. So the point is, this is a experimenting, evolving, creating journey. South African solutions for South Africa. And ambiguity and unknowns and contradictions are, are inherent to that. Your three pillars of business leadership for you. And we're wrapping it up. It's going to sound, it's going to sound so hallmark greeting trite, (laughs) (laughs) but all that stuff about team is so true. I know you believe in that. I really do. You know, know as you grow older, you become more comfortable with the things that you know you aren't particularly good at. And it becomes easier to complement your own strengths and weaknesses with those of others. And the excitement of being part of a team who brings into being things that are way beyond what you can achieve. Um, there, I don't, I'm afraid I don't know whose story this is, but, um, my sister told it to me and she's younger than me, but I always used to joke that when I'm big, I want to be like her because she's very, she's a very together lady. And that is that, you know, those Russian dolls that fit yeah. inside each other, yeah. that as a leader, you want to create a team where you are the smallest of the inner Russian dolls. And when you start to experience that, it is the most empowering thing as a leader to feel this capability and energy of this broader team that you're part of. So that implies in terms of your pillars, it implies a clarity of where your organization wants to go. It implies a deep respect for the others in your team yes. or that you hope to have join your team. Yes. And then the the ongoing 
communication, which of course is a two-way street. Communication isn't just broadcasting your views. It's hearing back as well. Okay. Um, so that you take, you build and take that whole journey, that team on the journey towards that. Purpose. And we learn and we learn and we grow and we grow yes. together. And you navigate towards and that purpose. Absolutely. Last question for our session, uh, Jenny. Looking back at your 21-year-old self, what would you say to 21-year-old Jenny Retief, Jennifer Retief, about her entrepreneurial future? What advice would you give to yourself? I'd probably say a mixture of cut myself a little bit of slack mm. and and also that I'm not quite sure how to word this, but that actually I'm not that important. And I don't mean that in some sort of exaggerated humility. What I'm, I mean more is that you make a fool of yourself. It, who cares? You know, it's actually not very important. Um, so I suppose that maybe summarizes best to saying don't take yourself so seriously. seriously. Yes. Um, uh, just lighten up a bit and cut yourself a bit of slack. I know that we both feel that growing up in, cir- in tough circumstances can give you an entrepreneurial advantage. So future CEOs out there, it is going to be tough. It is going to be rough. But I think listen to that inner voice, to trust your gut. But more importantly, without collective action, none of us will make it to the top. Thank you so much to the power woman of this week, the founding director and CEO of River Sang's Incubation Hub, the beautiful, the generous, the tough Jenny Retief. Thank you so much. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.